Amen, amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Pretty good, huh? So uh, how many people are excited to be in the house of the Lord? Make a little noise for the Lord. Amen, amen. Well, everyone, uh, my name is Zach. I'm one of the staff pastors here at uh, Church on the Rock. And several weeks ago, uh, Pastor John asked me to share on the weekend. And uh, I wasn't sure if he knew that he asked me to share on Father's Day weekend. And uh, so I asked him, I was like, you know, I'm I'm not like a a dad or anything like that. And he said, well, um, I thought it'd be really neat if we had Father's Day from the perspective of a son. And uh, so real fast, as a son, I want to wish all the fathers here a very special and happy Father's Day. So fast. Y'all make some noise for all of our dads. We, uh, man, we're really excited that, that you're here, that you're hanging out with us. If this is your first time or if this is your, your thousandth time, uh, man, I've been praying for you all week. And uh, I just really feel whether you're a dad or a son or a mom or a daughter or anything in between that God has something for you this morning. Amen. So um, as we continue, um, uh, I guess I got the opportunity to share for the first time on the weekend a little over a year ago. And um, since then, uh, I've had one pretty big life change. I got married back in September. Yeah. And uh, my pretty wife is sitting right up here. She was helping lead worship earlier. And, uh, you know, the first year of marriage, like, you learn a lot. Amen. How many people are like, preach it, brother, you know? Um, but the, the thing that you hear a lot is, is the word compromise, or you're supposed to prefer your spouse, you know? And, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I've learned a lot of these things this first year. One of them is my entire life, I have slept with a fan on wide open in my room. How many people can only sleep that way? It's like, I like the air moving. I like it to be cold. And uh, I like the noise. Sarah's really cold nature and she doesn't like it at all. So we compromised and we met in the middle and so we sleep with the fan off from now on, you know? So uh, that's just kind of like one example. Another is my very favorite cereal of all time is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah, amen. Um, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch and we got married and Sarah's like, she's like kind of watching my diet for me. She's like, Zach, that's like really terrible for you. And I'm like, but it makes me happy <laughs> and happy is healthy, you know, it just is. And she's like, you, you've got to do better. I mean, you at least need to be eating like Cheerios or something like that. So um, we compromised, you know, we met in the middle and so I exclusively eat Cheerios now. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't enjoy it nearly as much as I do cinnamon toast crunch, but, um, but anyway, um, you know, if, if that's our biggest concerns, uh, in marriage, I think that, I think we're doing pretty good. So Sarah, thank you for watching my diet for me. Um, but, uh, but anyway, as, as we continue, before we even, even jump into the word, I just, I want to take a quick second and I want to honor all of our pastors, man, Pastor John and Miss Sunhill, Pastor Mike and Miss Sharon, Pastor Travis and Whitney, Pastor Nick and Miss Delana, my brother Cole and his wife Brittany, and also Sarah, and everyone here that, that stands in the gap for this church every single week. And I want to, I actually want to make a challenge to you guys, man, to lift up the pastors of this house every single day. Man, call them out by name, not just for blessings in their life, but that we would always steward this church well, that this church would always be exactly where this church is supposed to be, where God's called our church to be. And so uh, real fast, would you just make some noise for all of our pastors real fast? 
Amen. And, and, and we really are, I mean, we're continuing to, uh, to pray for all of our pastors, but specifically Pastor Travis and, and this kidney thing that he's got going on. And we're praying for kidneys to come in and, and we're praying for healing. And that is such a small thing for God when people agree and pray and stand in the gap for somebody. So let's, let's continue to stand in the gap for him. Um, but this morning, I, um, I just want to share a couple, uh, couple quick scriptures and we're going to run through a few points. And as I do, man, I challenge you to, to read along with me, to write some stuff down in your phone uh, because note takers are history makers. I'm pretty sure that's Pastor Mike saying, but it's really good, so I'm going to use it. Um, but I want you to write some stuff down. But as we continue, uh, I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and let's just invite the Lord to speak to us this morning. Amen? Amen. So, Lord, we do lift you up. God, and we know that uh, right here on this, this Father's Day weekend, Lord, we, we open up our hearts to you, and we just want you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, be the voice within inside of my voice, Lord, and that every person here would feel challenged in some way, Lord, to, to draw closer to you, God, to be the, the men and women of God that you've called us to be, Lord, and that no matter what situation that we might face in our life, that we would forever pursue you. God, we thank you and we love you and we just lift you up today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 So real fast, if you do have a Bible, um, I want you to flip over, over to uh, Mark chapter 5. And I was just kind of getting ready and studying for the weekend. And I was reading through the Gospels. And something that was really interesting to me is that there were so many um, titles of these little short passages that were like really negative. They were really kind of sparse. They were, they were, they were really uh, down, but the, the one that we're going to read today, the title is literally a dead girl and a sick woman. That's the title. And, and I, I find it really interesting that there's so many like titles like this that find people in bad situations or moments of despair. But what's awesome about the New Testament is that there's all these terrible situations, but whenever Jesus steps in, things begin to change. And, and I feel like today, you know, no matter what circumstances you might find yourself in, and, 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 you know, even for you, this Father's Day weekend, it could be a difficult time for you. Maybe you lost a father this year. Maybe it's been a difficult time for you, and maybe you even feel shame because you haven't had the relationship with a son or a daughter that you wished you had. But I want to tell you, no matter what you face, when Jesus steps into the story, things shift. Amen. So as we continue, I'm going to read this story. It's a several scripture. I'm sure you, you've, you've heard it before. But um, again, the title of this is A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman. This is in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, and it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was uh, by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter uh, is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Most translations say garment right here. And it says, because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So if, if you've ever just kind of read through that passage, man, it's it by itself without studying it at all. This is a cool story because there's this sick woman, there's this woman that has an infirmity, there's this woman that finds herself in this place of despair and Jesus steps in and things change. But whenever you really dive in to a little more of the detail of this story, this is more than just a sick girl being healed by Jesus. It's more than just a sick girl having an encounter. It's more than that because at this time, this, this is a Jewish woman. And if you know anything about Jewish law at this time, it kind of transforms the meaning of what, this, what just happened. Okay, so this woman is a Jewish woman, and uh, we actually read this in Leviticus just, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before in our Bible reading. So if you want a good read, go to Leviticus. You can read the whole book. It's amazing. But... This lady, she uh, has a flow of blood. She has this infirmity that has been ailing her and, it, and it's weighed on her so heavily that she's literally known as the woman with the issue of blood. Okay, so this lady is here. She's had this issue, not just for a few weeks, not just a few months, but literally 12 years. She has been struggling with this infirmity. She's been struggling with this sickness. She's been struggling with this issue that no matter what she throws at this thing, nothing fixes it, not one thing. And so, um, it, again, if you know anything about the law at this time, if you're ceremonially unclean, that means everything that you touch is then also unclean. So if I'm this lady and I touch this pulpit, um, this pulpit is now ceremonially unclean. And if you touch the pulpit, then you're ceremonially unclean. And whenever you're ceremonially unclean, people avoid you. Okay, people don't want to be around you. People don't want to happen to touch the thing that you touch. People try to get away from you because they don't want to be ceremonially unclean. So this lady is literally ostracized from her family. Um, she's an outcast of all the people around her. Most scholars believe that this woman um, never had the opportunity to marry and also that she has no kids. And during the 12 years, she never really had an opportunity to actually give birth to children either. So this lady who's not only struggling with a sickness and a disease that, man, really kind of limits who she is, she's dealing with all that, and yet she's still an outcast. Yet she still can't have a family. There's all these things that kind of paint a broader picture for this girl. And what's also crazy to me is that it says that she spent everything that she had, and yet she only grew worse. And most scholars believe that this lady has suffered with this for so long that she's probably bedridden and that she just kind of stays at home and she's almost like just on her deathbed. That her pursuing Jesus in this scenario is actually like a last ditch effort that just says, man, I've done everything that I can in my own power, but man, I, I just got to get close to him because I keep hearing this stuff about this guy named Jesus. I keep hearing about the miracles that he's performing in this, man, I, I just got to get close to him. 
So this is kind of painting more of a picture of this lady, but to go even a step further, if in the Jewish culture, if you're ceremonially unclean, that means that you can't enter the temple, which means that she's not only ostracized and outcast from people and her family, but literally the place that she should be able to go to have hope, to have peace, to have somebody pray for her. They won't even let her in the door. So this lady, man, she's been laying around. She's been trying to do her very best to get healed. She's done everything in her power, and yet she only grew worse, and she keeps hearing about this guy named Jesus. She hears about this guy named Jesus. And so this story, it it becomes a, a little more real because whenever this lady maybe leaves the house, people in the community know her as the lady with the issue of blood. They know her as the lady who's ceremonially unclean. And this infirmity becomes her identity. She is literally limited by the circumstances that have played out in her life. And I want to tell you, as Christians, it's really easy for us to live the same way. And this is going to lead me to my very first point, and I want you to write this down. And it's point number one, don't let your infirmity become your identity. And uh, just a few weeks ago, we, uh, we were actually had the opportunity to go with the youth group down to the beach. We do this trip every year. Um, it's, it's a really good opportunity just to kind of get away and, and get separated. Man, we make the students leave their phones in the rooms, and, and we just spend time with God. And I remember at the night service, um, we probably had 40 students there, and uh, the, all the leaders got together right before the service, and we were just like, you know, God, what, what are you wanting to do tonight? We had a message prepared, but we were just trying to figure out, God, what are you, what are you saying? And uh, we were all there, and we felt like the Lord was saying emotional healing, and, uh, which is, you know, that's a, that's a cool thing. And, and, and we were like, well, that doesn't really go along with the message, but in the altar call, you know, if it pops up, we'll, we'll say that and just see what God wants to do. So we go through the, the whole service. It's a great service. We're in the altar call. My brother's preaching, and he's like, you know, I just feel like tonight that there's several people here that maybe you've made some poor decisions in your life, and you're carrying shame that limit you from fulfilling what God has on your life, and God doesn't want you to walk around with that. I also feel that there are people that whenever maybe you were a kid and there were situations that were completely out of your control and things happened to you and you've carried a burden of that for so long that it's limited you and God wants to say tonight that, you know what, he wants to heal you emotionally. And it was a very specific altar call and he was like, man, I, I don't know if anybody's gonna raise their hand, but if that's you, um, I just want you to raise your hand tonight. And 90% of the people in the room raised their hand and came down for prayer. And I, I say that story because these are just high school students that have already been through enough life to be hurt. And whenever we get older and older, what we begin to do is we get better at identifying the things that are going on in our life and we get worse at actually dealing with the thing that we identified. And in the second night of this same trip, we were getting ready for service. And um, same thing, same scenario. We were getting ready. All the leaders were together and uh, we started praying and we were like, well, God, what do you, what do you want to do? And he said, emotional healing. And we were like, man, last night was so good. You know, we felt like you, you did something. Uh, are you sure? And I felt like in my heart, he was saying, last night, we identified a lot of scars. We identified a lot of burdens. But tonight, I want to heal those things. 
And what's crazy to me today, and this is really prevalent in our culture as well, but you can go to psychologists, you can go to counselors, you can do all these things. And aside from them being a Christian, all psychology does is unpacks your life and says, hey, we identified the issue. You get it all out there on the table and say, this is your issue. And for some reason, when we become enlightened of the issue, that's supposed to set us free. But I want to tell you, identifying the problem and being whole and set free from a problem are two completely different things. One's Jesus and one isn't. And I want to tell you that there are people here, and I know that everybody here has different circumstances. You grew up in different towns and communities. Your parents were different. But I want to tell you, no matter what your story is, no matter what you've been through, no matter how hard or good your life has been, we all, are, we all, we all have to be, let me see the best way to say this, we all are a product of the things that we've been raised through. And everyone here, you have different scars, you have different things that maybe you've dealt with. And I want to say that this Father's Day weekend could be a moment where you're, you're not only identifying something that happened, but you're going to be loosed from the things that have held you back for years and you can be set free. And I want to tell you what you don't want to do is live burdened and live unfulfilled as a Christian. And I think this is really prevalent in the church across the United States. And it's a scary thing because... There's a lot of people here, and maybe you can't even relate to what I'm talking about. Maybe you're like, man, I, honestly, I've had, I've had great parents. I've been brought up in a great home. I, I've, I've always been close to Jesus. But our identity is, is what's at stake. Because we can live with an infirmity. We can live with this shame. We can live with this hurt and all this stuff. But on the flip side, we can also live with the identity that is so razor close to Jesus that we miss Jesus. And whenever you begin to like examine this story, the woman drew close and touched the hem of his garment. She was healed in a moment, but forever she's not speaking of the wonder of the garment. She's speaking of the one wearing the garment. And I feel like, man, a lot of the time all across the United States, there are Christians that go to church every single week that get caught up in the atmosphere of worship, but don't get caught up in what the atmosphere was created for. And I want to challenge every single heart here this morning that no matter what you go through, no matter how close you feel to Jesus, we all need to examine our hearts every day and say, man, is my identity in my small group or is it in Jesus? Is my identity in my church or Jesus? Man, I love my church. I love my small group. I love worship. But yeah, we can come in and we can see the lights and we can see the screens and we can see the, the music's mixed and Pastor Nick and them are up here. They're singing my favorite song and we can get caught up in the song and not the one the song was written for. And this leads me to um, kind of to, 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 to jump back in the story here because I want you to put yourself in, in this lady's position so she's here, she's, she's trying to get to Jesus, but there's tons of people around Jesus. And while she's getting close to Jesus, I know that other people bumped into Jesus. It had to happen. It said, the disciples were talking to Jesus. He said, man, everybody's bumping into you. How can you say who touched me? And this is one of my favorite quotes. It's by Augustine, and it says, flesh presses, faith touches he can always distinguish between the jostle of a curious mob and the agonized touch of a needy soul. And I want to enlighten all of us today. We are all needy souls. Every one of us. 
And, and what I don't want to do is, is, is ever be a Christian where it's like, you know, um, I'm around the things of God a lot. I'm around him doing miracles. I'm around him actually touching other people, but I don't actually reach out and touch him for myself. We have to pursue him so fervently that there's no doubt that he touched my life. Amen? And um, as we continue, let's jump back into this story real fast. Um, Again, I want you to put yourself back in this lady's shoes. And I've always wondered, so if this lady is so sickly, if she's on her deathbed and all this stuff, then how is she fighting through this mob, you know, to get to Jesus? And whenever I was studying this week, I was picturing it in my head. And to go back to her issue, her issue with blood and people that were around her didn't want to touch her because that would make them ceremonially unclean. And so picture this in your head. She's starting to walk up to Jesus, maybe barely hobbling along, and people start seeing her, and they're like, man, that's the lady uh, that's unclean. You need to start getting away. And then as she's pursuing Jesus, this path opens up. People start getting out of the way because they don't want to be unclean, and she gets to Jesus because of her situation. And this leads me to my second point, and I want you to write this down. Sometimes our infirmity creates a path to our new identity. And I wrestled around with this all week, and and I want you to relate to this this way. How many people, and this could be your testimony, but how many people have ever heard like a testimony like that where it's like, man, I hit rock bottom, this went wrong, this went wrong, this went wrong, and then I finally turned to Jesus. Has anybody ever heard something like that? Maybe that's your story. And and, And for me, it's the same story. I remember, man, for three years of my life in high school, I, man, I just was not pursuing God. And I remember I was, I was sitting in my room. My buddies wanted to beat me up. And, you know, when you're 16, this is like a big deal. You know, you're like stressed out. Um, the girl that I liked at the time, like uh, all this stuff happened with that, and it broke my heart. My relationship with my parents was terrible. Me and my brother and my sister didn't like each other. And I remember sitting in my room that day, and I was so empty. And I finally examined my life for just a moment. And I was like, man, I don't even like the person that I am. Has anybody ever been to that place? And it was almost the perfect storm that happened, but I wanna, I wanna thank God for perfect storms because sometimes perfect storms are the very thing that draws you back to him. And I wanna tell you, man, what we can tend to do in our lives is we can be situational Christians where when things are good, we pursue him. Or we can even be the flip side of that. Whenever things good, we back off. But whenever things are bad, we pursue him because we want to see what he can do for us rather than us just seeking him because of what he's already done. And and so many times we can seek his hands and not his face. And and this morning, I feel like, man, there's going to be a lot of people here that are caught up in the the, the two extremes of this. And and I was kind of wrestling around with a couple ways to explain this. But I know that in my my testimony, I was sitting there in my room. I, I didn't like the person that I had become. And for the first time in my life in several years, I finally said, God, man, I just need you today. It was no crazy cool prayer I was not a theologian. I just sat down and said, God, I need you. I don't even know what that means, but I remember the presence of God coming on me so strong sitting there in my room. I remember my, uh, my mom walked by and saw me, and she came in, and we prayed. 
And I remember from that point forward, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm not going back because I know that it's void. I know that no matter what I throw in that void in my life, I will forever be empty and I will forever continue to grow worse until I let Jesus in and let him do something. And um, I remember just a, a, few, a few months later, Pastor Mike's son, Michael, uh, kind of tricked me into coming to Powerhouse. And uh, thank God for people who trick people into church. Amen. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm kind of tricked into coming to Powerhouse. And immediately, man, God really begins to do stuff in my life. And uh, this was kind of leading up to my senior year of high school. And we, uh, we used to do a, an event every year called Impact Weekend. And uh, it was right before the school year would kick off. And it's pretty much to get kids, man, excited to go into their school and make a difference. And I remember God was dealing with me so strong. You know, I was going into my senior year at, at Redwater High School. But I remember feeling so much shame because I felt that I had wasted so much time. You know, you're only in high school for four years, and I remember God calling me so strong to make a difference, and then the enemy would just beat me up and say, man, if you would have just started a few years ago, you really could do something. And so this whole time, I would carry this shame, and I, and I would carry this regret. And man, so many times, man, as adults, we can live that way. We can live with this shame. We can live with this regret. And I remember this year was about to kick off, and Michael was off at college, and um at this impact weekend, he gave me this thing, and it's, I literally still have it. Um, it. It usually hangs up in my room, and uh, I, I quote it almost every single day. And uh, it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And uh, this, this changed my life because I finally got to the place where it was like, you know what? My past is gone. It's as simple as that. And I want to tell you fathers here, maybe you've been a bad dad in the past, but your past is redeemed. You know what I mean? Mothers, maybe you've been a bad mom. Maybe you, whoever in here haven't served God the way that you know that he's calling you to, but I wanna tell you, your past is redeemed. And it's literally highlighted on this because Michael was like, dude, don't you care about anything that you squandered back in the day because guess what? Your past is redeemed. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote this really fast. Yeah, y'all make some noise for the Lord. It says, the die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My, uh, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Ponder in the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns. Give until I drop preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my colors will be clear. <laughs> Amen. And I want to tell you, <laughs> if you're a believer in Christ, in one moment, he can shift things that maybe you've been working decades, decades to fix, because whenever we invite Jesus in, things begin to change. Things begin to change. And I wanna, I wanna jump back into this story um, really fast. And if, if you remember, whenever I first started reading in, in verse 21, it talked about a guy named Jairus. And, and let's put ourselves kind of in his shoes for just a second. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. He's literally kind of like a preacher. And he, he goes to Jesus and says, man, my daughter is sick. Um, will you please come? Just, just pray for her. I know that she'll be made well. Jesus is on his way there 
On his way there, he stopped by the woman with the, with the infirmity, the woman with the issue of blood. And in that moment, he, he's kind of caught up with her. And this is where the story picks back up, okay? So I'm going to read a few more scriptures, but I think this is really going to paint a good picture for us. Verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anybody uh, follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother uh, and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Uh, he took her by the hands and said to her, Talitha koam, which is a uh, redneck Aramean, I think, uh, and which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat, okay? And, and I was thinking about this and just studying, and I, I didn't put these two stories together until this week whenever I was preparing, and I never realized that this story with the woman of the issue of blood is literally sandwiched between the story of Jairus and his daughter, and there's so many parallels between the two, and I didn't catch it until this week. And I was like, well, God, what are, you, what are you trying to say? Like, why is this sandwiched here? Why would Mark write this this way? In the other Gospels, it's written the same way. And I felt like God was saying, it's the same story, it's just different characters. And he said, there's so many parallels between the two. And let, let's go back and review. The woman had an infirmity or an issue of blood for how many years? 12 years. This little girl was how many years old? Whenever all this boils down and at the end of the day, this story is about a concerned father and a sick daughter. It's about a concerned father and a sick daughter. And it, it kind of blows my mind that Jairus in this moment, um, you know, they stop and he's probably broken a little bit because he's like, man, if only Jesus would have showed up when I first asked him, maybe my daughter would have been saved. You know, maybe she would have been healed. And yet we stopped and we talked to this lady and they continue. Literally, this girl is raised from the dead. And what I want to take from this is that, man, there's some fathers and mothers here and that Whenever we invite Jesus into our home, Jesus entered the home of Jairus, our children change, okay? And, and I can remember whenever I was a kid, um, my, I mean, I have great parents, I have a great dad, I have a great mom, and I remember uh, we, we went to this church, um, you know, we, we did one Sunday service, and whenever we would get ready for service, uh, all the deacons and leaders of the church, they would come up early, and they would just stand in the gap and pray for the service and families and stuff like that, and uh, my dad would go up early every week. And, um, I, you know, we, we never went up with him. We would get ready, and then we'd come up later. And then my dad, whenever I was 12 or 13 years old, he, he started inviting me um, with him to come up and, and pray before service. And, you know, I'm like a kid. I'm like, I don't really know what to do up here, but I'll, I'll come. And so I remember walking in. And there's all these guys walking around just warring and praying for the service. And I remember watching my dad, man, he walked all the way down front and he got on his face before God on this old dingy green carpet. 
and he would cry out and he would stand in the gap for this service. He would stand in the gap for my family. And I remember thinking, man, like I, this is crazy. And I also remember, man, every day of my life that I can remember when I lived in my parents' home, me and my brother had two twin beds in the same room and we fought all the time. <laughs> But my dad, every night, he would, he would lay us down and he would come in between our two beds and we would say prayer together every night. And I, I say all that to say that my dad is one of the manliest guys I know, man. He's 6'4", like 220. He has tons of chest hair. You know, like he's this, this college football player. He's one of the manliest guys I know. But I want to tell you, dads, the manliest thing I ever saw my dad do was get on his face before God. And I want to tell you, there's some dads here, and maybe up until this point, man, and it's like, man, I believe in Jesus, man, I pray on my own, but I want to tell you the very best thing that you can ever instill into your children is show them how to get close to Jesus. No matter what you face, no matter what situations your family might go through, I want to tell you, if you get on your face before him and you seek him fervently with an open heart that's so desperate to be close to Jesus because you know that that's the only way provision comes, because you know that's the only way things begin to shift. And this is kind of setting me up for my last point, and this is to all the fathers, but if you want to be a good father first, you've got to learn to be a son, Okay? This is my last point, and I want you to write this down, and this is for everyone. Our identity is to be a child of God, and if we can ever get back to this place and we realize that, man, I'm that girl. I was dead. Jesus entered my life, and he changed things. Whenever we realize that, man, we all are sickly, we're all needy, we all have infirmities, we all have hurts and pains, we all have situations that we've been through, we all have games that we've played. But I want to tell you, no matter what you face, in one moment, God can shift everything in your life. And I feel like there's some dads in here this weekend, and maybe you feel shame about not having a relationship with a, with a, with a son or a daughter it could be, it could be the, the opposite. There could be some sons in here that feel shame and feel convicted about not reaching out to their father who doesn't go to church. Whatever the case may be, I want to tell you that if you do it in you, you'll just make it worse. You'll spend all your money, and at the end of the day, you won't grow any better. But whenever you invite Jesus and you desperately want to touch him and you invite him into your home, when you invite him into your situation, things change. And he can do in one moment what you spend lifetimes trying to do. So this morning, I actually want to invite Pastor Nick up and Pastor Mike as well. He's going to come up and pray for all the dads in just a moment. But... I, uh, I was thinking about this, to, you know, just this week and today, and uh, actually right now I want to invite just all the fathers. I just want you to stand up, all the fathers, all across the room. I want you to, to stand. And, and, and again, I know that on Father's Day weekend, man, it, it can be like a touchy thing for some people. Like, man, I, I get that. But this weekend, I, I just felt like the Lord was wanting to say some stuff over this house and the men that go to church here. And I want Church on the Rock, I feel like God wants Church on the Rock to be a place where fathers are fathers. I feel like Church on the Rock needs to be a place where moms are moms. And I want to tell you the very best way you can be a dad is if you learn how to be a son. 
if you can learn how to, man, come to Jesus fervently every single day. You don't have to be better. You just have to be closer. And a lot of the time we get so caught up as men in what we can produce and what we can fund and how much money we make. And I want to tell you that he's not concerned with what you produce. He's concerned with your proximity to him. And I want to tell every single dad here, no matter what you've got going on, no matter what you may have squandered, no matter what shame you may have just had in your life, I want to tell you in a moment, Jesus can set you so free from that, that you can be a new man walking out of these doors. And I also want Church on the Rock to be a place where, man, guys partner and they raise up, men these kids that don't have dads. Man, I want Church on the Rock to be a place where single moms bring their kids because, man, I heard that if I bring my kids, they'll be fathered there. Don't be a dad, be a father. Every person, man, and I know that I, I don't have kids, but I wanna tell you as a son, the very best thing you can do, the very, very best thing that I ever learned from my father is how to seek Jesus through every situation, not just what he can do for me, not just him trying to meet my, my circumstances or whatever, but I wanna tell you, if we pursue him, things change. Guys, if you invite Jesus into your home, your kids will be different. It's a fact. This morning, um, Pastor Mike's gonna come up and he's just gonna pray a blessing over all the dads. And uh, man, I, I'm just excited from this point forward what, man, our fathers, man, what we have the opportunity to do. We have the opportunity to be set free, to restart. God has something for every single guy this morning, amen? amen. First of all, great word, great anointing yeah. <laughs> on this young man, very proud of him. But uh, yes, give the Lord a hand amen. clap, amen. You know, in the hallway, there was a lot of, you know, shake your hand, happy Father's Day. And somebody came up to happy Father's Day, and I looked at this man, and, and I had to pause a second. I I don't think he has any sons. And I was kind of, you know, you know, I'll thank you. and But then I realized, and it was no more than I walked away, this guy's got a lot of spiritual sons. Yeah. And what a great testament. And I think that's the biggest challenge as a father, find a spiritual son. Hopefully, you know, first, if you have a natural son, that's the way to start. But I'm telling you, when you have sons like this, it'll cause you to want to be a better man and just press in more to God. And so, Father, I just pray for these men. Lord, first of all, I thank you for the many fathers in this room. Lord, I thank you. Your grace is here for ones that their fathers aren't here right now for whatever reason. And, Lord, we thank you. Your grace is sufficient for us. But, Lord, I pray that we will seek first the kingdom and your righteousness, that all these things we seek and want and desire, Lord, they will come because we're seeking you first. So, Lord, I just declare a blessing over these men, Lord, that they will prosper whatever they put their hands to. Lord, you'll give them the desires of their heart. But Lord, where hearts need to change, our desires will become your desires, Father. And we want to say happy Father's Day to our Father in heaven. And Lord, in any way we've letting you down, we thank you. Today can be a restart. Today can be a new day. Your mercies are new every day. And Lord, we can stop right here, not look back, but press on to the call of the high calling. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, and just uh, before we before we dismiss, we're gonna have the, the worship team. They're gonna play, and I, I want to invite all of our prayer team down front. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, man, please come down. We we love getting the opportunity to pray for you guys. And also, as as the guys leave, there's a man zone outside where you can get Slim Jims and peanuts and all kind of drinks and stuff. So definitely do that.
But before you go, just like Pastor Mike said, even if you, <laughs> the guys in here, even if you don't have sons, I want to tell you, there's a lot of people in my life that are spiritual fathers to me. I have a great father. He's a spiritual father. Man, Pastor Mike's a spiritual father. And there's tons of people that have partnered alongside with me that are spiritual brothers that help hold me up, that encourage me. And I want you, before you leave, who are you called to be the spiritual father or brother of? Don't make it about us. It's like, man, I need to seek out a spiritual father. It's like, man, who can you be the spiritual father of? Who can you pour into? Who can you encourage? And how can we partner along with, man, all these people that go to our church How can we partner along with some of these students and some of these kids and kids on? How can we help raise them up? That's what we're called to do as men. So uh, so real fast, again, the prayer team is going to come down. And all you guys, just for the next moment as we sing this song, man, just ask the Lord, Lord, who are you calling me to partner with? Who are you calling me to encourage? God, what are you calling me to do? And don't leave without thinking about somebody and making some some sort of plan to reach out to them this week. Amen? I love you guys. I'm proud to be here at Church on the Rock, and I'm excited to see what God has in store for all the men here at Church on the Rock. Amen? Amen.